0: Well, my name is Randall, and I'm so glad that you've joined us on this Monday Thursday. It's also a Good Friday Eve, dusk candles, and a little bit more somber uh, tone, perhaps, in this gathering. Uh, normally, we have a lot of celebrating to do, and that is coming on Easter Sunday. But we do celebrate, but with reverence, tonight, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, And the teaching tonight is simply entitled, What Does Divine Love Look Like? What Does Divine Love Look Like? Now, this conversation is part seven of the series that we have had, Conversations with Jesus on the Journey to the Cross. And this conversation takes place actually not on the journey to the cross, but he is literally hanging on the cross and it is the third conversation that he has had on the cross. If you've been with us for the, this series, you would remember that one conversation he had was with a convicted criminal on one side. He was, this criminal was on another cross right next to Jesus. In that conversation, in that conversation, Jesus offers this criminal uh, paradise, says, today you will be with me in paradise. So forgiveness for a criminal, which is good news for all of us, no matter what we've done, no matter uh, what someone has, has done in a negative way in their life, there is grace and there's a way, path forward for eternity. And then another conversation, he commended the care of his mother, Mary, to his dearest friend, John. This particular conversation that we're going to focus on tonight is the last conversation that Jesus has before he dies. There's three statements in this conversation and all of them are directed to God the Father. And again, uh, what we believe is there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, and they go together to form the triune God, three expressions of divinity, if you will. And so let's read these statements that Jesus makes to God the Father in sequential order. First of all, statement number one comes from Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus says this to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And then statement number two from Matthew 27, verse 45. And this verse gives... Kind of a backdrop of what's happening cosmically around Jesus on the cross from noon until three in the afternoon, midday, darkness comes over all of the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli Eli Lema Savakhtani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the third and the final statement of Jesus to the Father. Luke 23, 46, Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. For a few moments this evening, I'd like to focus on the second statement that Jesus makes to the Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In light of the fact that Jesus is addressing his father as God, it might seem strange that he doesn't just refer to him as father. Father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Seems rather formal how Jesus addressed the father in this moment. It's kind of similar to how Jesus addressed his mother, Mary, on the cross. Instead of saying mother, he said woman. Now, many theologians have gone down specific uh, paths of ideas on why uh, Jesus referred to his mother as woman and his father as God. But um, there's a kind of rabbit trail, so to speak. And I, I, I don't think it's germane at all to what we want to discuss, at least what I want to discuss. You may want to discuss that, but in terms of what I feel in my heart to discuss and share with you this evening... So picture this. Darkness has fallen. It's midday on that monumental day. The five people that had come to be near the cross and to show their support of Jesus have now left. We don't know why or when exactly they moved away, but but Mary and John and the three other ladies that are there, they have now moved away from the cross. Jesus is alone and near death. When I think of 2020, which I don't really like to do a whole lot, right? But when I think of 2020, this really stands out to me, alone and near death. This past year, we've seen so many images and heard so many stories of those stricken with COVID-19 and being separated from their Loved ones from their family, from a spouse, dying alone, with the exception of their medical team. So tragic. Appearing forsaken, but obviously not by choice. The stunning thing about the father forsaking the son was that it was clearly by the father's choice. With everything that Jesus was feeling emotionally, physically, And even spiritually, he was grieving the loss of the nearness of his father. Charles Spurgeon writes, "'Grief of mind is harder to bear than pain of body. You can pluck up courage and endure the sorrow of sickness and pain so long as the spirit is brave. But if the soul itself be touched and the mind becomes diseased with anguish, then every pain is increased in severity.'" and there is nothing with which to sustain it. Spiritual sorrows are the worst of mental miseries. It's truly out of character that God is forsaking those he loves, in this case, Jesus, who he loves, we know. Throughout Israel's history, even in their rebellion and subsequent captures and exiles, God did not forsake them he always showed them through a prophet the way back. Though there were 400 years from the last prophecy of Malachi, the prophecy is foretelling of the future and, and the last one that did that in the Old Testament was a prophet by the name of Malachi. And 400 years go by and God is silent, he does not speak up until the birth of Jesus Christ. But even in the silence there's not the message that's coming from heaven that God has forsaken humanity, thus the incarnation, thus the birth of Jesus Christ. The Psalms give us a lot of support for understanding that God doesn't forsake those he loves. Psalm 23, verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 37, verse 25, these are the words of David. David, King David's now an old man. He says this, I've been young, now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken. And these words to Joshua in the Old Testament, but also they appear for Christ's followers in the book of Hebrews in the Newer Testament. These words, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. This is our God. Our God is a God that does not forsake those that he loves, never. Now, the word forsaken is used by the Son, directed to the Father. Such a strange moment for Jesus to feel forsaken. Throughout Jesus' time on earth, it was just the opposite. Jesus felt the support of his Father. At his baptism, it's the father that says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. At his transfiguration, which is a a moment that heaven came down to earth while Jesus was on earth, the father says this, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. By now Jesus knew as he was hanging on the cross, what it was like to be forsaken. He'd been forsaken by the religious leaders among his own Jewish people. He'd been forsaken by his family with the exception of Mary. He'd been forsaken by his apprentices and his friends except for John, now forsaken by the Father. The Father's presence was gone. The Father's voice was silent The father's support was absent. Clovis Chapel writes, this was the crucifixion within the crucifixion. So why did the father forsake the son? That's a a fair question. What's going on? Why would the father do this? I'd like to suggest two reasons. First of all, because Jesus took our place. There was no reason in Christ why the Father should forsake him. He was perfect and his life was without sin. God never acts without a reason. And since there was no reason in Christ's character, we must look elsewhere. There is only one answer. I believe it's found in 2 Corinthians 5:21. Which says this God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us. He took all of our failures. Every time we miss the target of God's holy order, whether it's morality, ethically, anytime missing the target, Jesus took the sin the weight of all of the sins of all of the world for all time on his shoulders so that we would be reconciled with God. But God is incompatible with sin. A pure God could be nowhere near the impurities of the world which Jesus became on the cross. And so the Father had to distance himself from all of the sins, this holy, pure Father. So that is one reason why the father did forsake the son because Jesus took our place. There's a second reason I'd like to suggest and that is so Jesus could sympathize and empathize when we feel forsaken. He knows what it feels like to be forsaken. Having experienced the supreme loneliness and a profound absence of support at a time when he needed it the most, Jesus understands the depths of our despair when we feel forsaken. Let me ask you this. Have you had a time when you have felt forsaken, abandoned, left alone in your sorrow or your misery, your disappointment, your frustration? Or maybe the mess you've made of your life and you, you feel alone. You feel forsaken. Maybe forsaken by a friend who you thought was a friend. Maybe a child being forsaken by parents or vice versa. Maybe a wife being forsaken by her husband. Maybe a body being forsaken by its health. The body's falling apart. Maybe it has to do with a race being forsaken by a society for like 400 years. Maybe an employee forsaken by their employer. The list could go on and on and on, but in this moment, you probably had an image of a time when you felt forsaken by someone or something. Let me tell you tonight that Jesus can relate to those moments when you feel forsaken. He knows how you feel. Listen to Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now specifically, the writer of Hebrews is referring to Jesus who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. But I'd like to suggest that his empathy and his sympathy with our situation goes well beyond the times that we're tempted. I believe he understands According to even the context of how this passage ends, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, in the time of crisis, in the time that we feel abandoned, forsaken. Jesus is there. Jesus understands. He sympathizes, but I like the word empathize better. Means means he's walked in shoes, so to speak, or sandals for Jesus that have been forsaken. He knows the depth of the pain. There will be people who, though they try, will not be able to understand the depths of your sorrow or your grief like Jesus. Without the cross, that moment of being forsaken, he would not be able to truly empathize and help us. That was the choice of the Father to forsake the Son because Jesus took on the sins of the world, our sins, my sins, and that it would prepare Jesus to empathize. But what choice did Jesus have in that moment? We've talked about the Father's choice. What choice did Jesus have in that moment when he felt forsaken? Why did he decide to go through with it? He had options. He could have aborted the mission. He could have in a flash killed the Roman soldiers and the Jewish religious leaders that caused so much of the anguish and the pain and the suffering on his flesh. As the very old song says, it was old when I was a kid, so you know it's really an old song. He could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him. He had the power to do that. He was fully God and fully human. He could have done that. He could have left that mission. But he decided to go through with it. That's the choice that Jesus made. Why? I can only come up with one reason. Because of love. Because he loves you. Because he loves us. Because he loves the people of the world In his anguish, his grief, his suffering, he chooses to go through with it. The words of Jesus keep coming back to us like a boomerang. Greater love has no one than this and to lay down one's life for his friends. One love, the greatest love. Though forsaken and alone, he fulfilled heaven's mission all because of love, the greatest love. I'd like our music team to join me now on the platform. And as we bring this to a close, I'd like to just revisit in a summary, what does divine love look like? If you ask, what does God's love look like? Well, first of all, it pays the penalty for our sins. It becomes the solution to the guilt and the shame that without this penalty being paid, we would walk with and live with all of our days. Divine love also understands and empathizes with our deepest, darkest sorrows: the moments that we feel alone, the moments that we feel forsaken, left out. Divine love also looks like this. It goes the distance. It doesn't give up. And just as Jesus' love didn't give up on the cross, his love for you in your life will never give up. There will never be a moment that Jesus looks at you and says, okay, I'm not going the distance with you. There'll never be that moment. Even if you forsake Jesus, he will be there at the beck and call. He will be there to come and to remind you once again that I have always loved you. This is the love of Jesus. Friends, God will never forsake you, though you may feel distant from God at times. I'd like to say that since I decided to follow Jesus, that there's never been a time that I didn't feel distant from God or God distant from me it's kind of part of life at times. There are times that we don't, do not feel that nearness. But let me assure you, it's not because God has forsaken you. And you may be in this room or you may be watching this on live stream, and you may feel that God's given up on you, that you've made too many mistakes, that you're not good enough, that his love has reached the end of your life, uh, uh, end of, uh, of being you know, available to you in the days of your life. That's not true. Those are words that are not from the heart of God for you. It's not represented on the cross of Christ for you. The cross is God's eternal statement of unending devotion and care. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. We're going to transition to a time of communion as the elements are distributed here, I encourage you, if you're watching this via live stream, there'll be a song that will be sung. You have some time to come up with what might be the semblance of the bread and the cup at home. There's grace there. Instead of grape juice, you might find orange juice. That's okay. It's, it's uh, as we come to This time of partaking, it is about the heart that we have in relationship with Jesus Christ. That we are going to adore him together and remember. And so I encourage you to prepare for communion. Even as we do, I want to just mention to you if if you have felt forsaken by God, if you feel that there has been distance between you and God, I'd like to pray with you right now and just know that the arms of Jesus are open to embrace you with love, to welcome you back or welcome you for the first time home into the kingdom of God. I'd like to pray with you now before this song and worship together.